don't believe, I always think that all this bullshit about to provoke you a little bit more, this is superstitious logic. It's pure ideology. You know this ecological bullshit like... Hello, welcome to the end of the world. This is Anthropocene's episode 25, and today we are doing Anthropocene Outdoor Theory number four and talking about the films of one Peter Berg, who is probably one of the most, I don't know, prolific and in a lot of ways weirdly successful directors that maybe people don't know his name. You know, they might not be familiar with who he is, Uh, but his films have definitely made an impact, made a lot of money. Uh, mostly because of their content, which is what we're going to be talking about. Um, and he sort of uh, become the director of movies about contemporary American disasters. A yeah, lot of ways. he's he's the guy willing to uh, go there. Yeah, and so we're going to be looking specifically at a few of his films. Uh, I think the big four we're going to be talking about are Deepwater Horizon, uh, Lone Survivor, The Kingdom, and Patriot's Day. And those range, they have sort of a range of years. Deepwater Horizon, Lone Survivor, and Patriot's Day are the more recent ones. And then The Kingdom is from back in 07. Uh, so all fairly recent films. He's been especially prolific in the past decade. So Lone Survivor's in 2013, Deepwater Horizon, and Patriot's Day are both 2016. Yeah, he churned those out back to back. Yeah, and it's kind of the uh, Mark Wahlberg trilogy. Although I guess we can't say that because he's also in Mile 22, which is... One of his newer films, which I have not seen and Never I'm not super interested in. It's kind of a straight up action. Like we have to take this prisoner, you know, 22 miles to this safe house or to the airport or whatever. And so they have to, you know, fight all the bad guys on the way there. It's basically a video game and movie form. Yeah, that's kind of how Lone Survivor felt, too. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, in a lot of ways, all of his movies or all of these four movies well, maybe not Patriot's Day, but the other three kind of had that feel, too, of uh, the big mission they're trying to accomplish. But I guess we can just jump right in, and we'll start. Well, which one do you want to start with? Because I don't really care. We can go chronological, I guess. So it's probably uh, The Kingdom, uh, Lone, Survivor. Lone Survivor, Deepwater Horizon, and uh, Patriot's Day. Yeah. So I, I just finished The Kingdom like an hour ago. Uh, and like I said, I... It's one of those movies. I, I, I want to blame the shittiness of this movie on Steven Soderbergh, who made Traffic in the year 2000, I believe. And uh, and then it was just like it became cool to make these convoluted sort of international political, uh, you know, action dramas. And you saw this one and uh, Syriana both came out and both were just clusterfucks of movies. Uh, but this one is, is definitely like a, a, uh, a much more blockbuster ish, uh, uh, offshoot of that. And, uh, it's hard to tell what the fuck is going on in this movie. At least it was for me in terms of like, uh, well, you notice it in most of these movies. It's just like kind of a snooze fest for 45 minutes until shit starts blowing up. Yeah. Well, blowing up more consistently, I guess. <laughs> yeah, because the the opening uh, sequence is, I guess, where I want to start. Because it's just kind of, it, I think it's meant to be a crash course in American-Saudi relations. 
and like relations with the Middle East. It, but it kind of looks yeah. like those Dennis Leary Ford truck commercials <laughs> to me um, in the way yeah. it's designed. It's, it's a very like, you know, early 2000s graphic montage type thing. Yeah. Um, that takes you from the founding of the kingdom of Saudi Arabia up to what was the present day in the, the war in Iraq. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and some somehow finds a way to mention that uh, religion and modernity have no place together. Yeah. That they, they are in constant struggle with one another. Um, they mm-hmm. also have, cause I think it's important to remember when you watch it, that it's, it's a very, you know, it's Peter Berg's version of that history, which is probably very, in reality, is deeper and more complex and more nuanced. Um, so, for instance, there are these weird voiceovers that I think are meant to be like news reports of the day. Well, it, sound, it sounds like it may have even come from uh, towards the end from Frontline. It sounds exactly like the guy who narrates the show Frontline on yeah, PBS. And it might be, but the, I just think of there's a line kind of in the middle of it it's when they uh, are talking about the Saudis finding oil. And the guy says, we were digging for water. We never meant to find oil. Right. It's uh, not our fault. Yeah, it's just sort of, I don't know, it's interesting. And like with all these movies, really, you find yourself, maybe with this one less so, like sort of torn because there are moments where he really tries to make some sort of salient point about whatever it is the movie's about. But for the most part, those kind of fall flat or they just are kind of half-assed or they don't make as much sense as maybe he thinks they do. Right. Right. Well, you can't see the hypocrisy of it. It's like uh, like we were just talking about before we started recording by uh, especially in The Kingdom and in Lone Survivor by going to great lengths to show that, you know, there are good Muslims. What what's uh, implicit in that conception is that there are bad Muslims and therefore these military operations are justified so the point backfires on him immediately and or and and that's that's giving him the benefit of the doubt that it's backfiring maybe that's exactly what he's yeah you know maybe that's exactly what he's going for yeah and just looking at just the characterization of muslims and in his movies and deepwater horizon gets kind of a pass because it's you know it's about a very kind of um condensed event you know it all takes place on the oil rig that sort of stuff Uh, Mm -hmm. even though it has these bigger connections to the you know global infrastructure of oil production and all that stuff right Uh, it's large it's a sort of uh propaganda object is blue collar workers yes which is a a very interesting sort of angle to take on that story but we'll talk more about when we get there um but, you know, with The Kingdom and with Lone Survivor and Patriot's Day, uh, there was a review that I found uh, kind of through Wikipedia that was written for, a, a th- I can't remember now, I don't want to say it was The Guardian maybe or maybe The Atlantic. And the, the name, it's it's a review of The Kingdom from, from 2007. And the title of it was One Good Muslim. <laughs> and so the, the whole, you know, conceit of this review is that in this film, there's the one good Muslim. And, and why is he good? It's because he... He too hates the terrorist, but he also loves his country and he is, you know, he wants to aid the Americans in helping him secure his country from these brutal terrorists. Right. Right. Um, and, and that's, that's a lot. Uh, I'm not, we may have talked about it on here with Clint Eastwood, 
how his movie Flags of Our Fathers, uh, or I'm sorry, uh, it's the other one, Letters from Iwo Jima, uh, had this reputation of being kind of progressive because it, you know, it shows uh, the per, the Japanese perspective uh, from Iwo Jima. And but if you if you're watching that movie at all, you you see that the only reason he's willing to empathize with the Japanese is because the characters he creates are pro-American Japanese. <laughs> like it's a it's a it's a nasty little trick that we like to pull where we seem these directors like to seem progressive, but what they're really doing is just inventing new new ways to promote uh, old sort of conservative ideals. Yeah. And it's sort of what does being progressive mean within these films? It means that you align yourself with the United States and its goals. Uh, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Which the, uh, I have to bring up the character list cause I can't remember his name. Ferris, Ferris Algazi, the, uh, the Saudi police officer in the kingdom definitely does that. Um, and then also there's the other one, um, the other Haytham, Haytham, the other Saudi police officer who at the beginning, uh, kills the terrorists or, you know, kills a couple of them and then sort of gets shit for it later on from his fellow officers who are like, mm-hmm. you, you take the side of these, you know, of your enemy over your own people, that sort of thing. Um, and also the fact that the whole final shootout in the kingdom takes place in uh, what they keep calling over and over again, like a bad neighborhood. Like Ogazi keeps saying, Oh, this is a bad neighborhood. And that's when Chris Cooper's like, yeah, no shit. After they've <laughs> shot like six rockets at them. Right. And, and you know, making it, uh, or turning Riyadh, you know, the capital of Saudi Arabia into this place that has these like no go zones that are full of these jihadi terrorists who, if they even see an American, they're going to fire 15 rockets at them and, and that sort of stuff. Yeah, what did that that like uh, sign? The like the official state sign was like lethal force beyond this point. Lethal force is authorized. Yeah, it's like you're allowed to kill people past this sign. Yeah, and that's it's also interesting to know. And you know, I don't know how much of this is true because I'm sure that the Saudi government and police forces do you know bend the rules or ignore them at times. Um, but it's it's sort of implied that if the the Saudi royal family and, you know, by extension, their American sort of allies want something done that they just up and ignore all of the rules of society and like people's lives are forfeit at that point. Uh, And it's, it's just kind of interesting to portray it in that way as if that's not also the case in the U S as we kind of see in Patriots day where they Mm -hmm. shut down the whole city. Uh, It's kind of a weird parallel. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I guess I, I think that movie might more uh, correctly have been called Patriots Act. <laughs> it is a big, uh, just like, it's like celebrating Americans' willingness to give up their right to privacy. Anyway, we'll get there. <laughs> here's Here's the question about the kingdom. It seems like a very deliberate choice to have uh, Jamie Foxx's character receive this bad news on a phone call while he's like reading a book or, he, yeah. or he's at a, his son's school, which seems to very closely parallel uh, 
how Bush received the news of 9-11. Yeah, it's very much, that's exactly what I thought. And I, I saw this movie in theaters, like back in 2007, uh, just on a random Friday night, went and saw The Kingdom. But I, I don't know if I made that connection at the time, but it's definitely, like, if it's not intentional, then it's just, then they're the brain dead. Yeah. yeah, it's got it's to be. And he gets it and he, you know, he has to go out and, and, you know, we've, we've had this running theme of telling the truth to children. And one thing I will say is that in the kingdom, that's exactly what people do. Uh, like from the very beginning when he's telling the story about his son being born via Mm C-section and then when his son comes out and he's like, Oh, I have to go. And, uh, his son's like, did bad things happen? He's like, yeah, a lot of bad things happen. And they have that like weird father son connection where he's like, daddy's got to go shoot some people and his son's like okay right um but yeah it's it's uh the whole movie's just it has this weird through line of revenge uh yeah and and it's acknowledged yeah. you know when he's talking to the i guess it's the director who says you know think like a fbi agent or whatever he's like acknowledging that like vengeance is at play here yeah and that's the whole twist at the end of the film with the the parallel between what Jamie Foxx's character tells Jennifer Gardner and what the old terrorist leader tells his grandson that oh we're right. going to kill them all and it's supposed to be this sort of poignant moment but it's kind of at that point at the end of the film we've arrived sort of back where we started yeah and it, I don't know if it if it's the film is meant to imply this sort of cyclical nature of destruction and revenge and all that but that's exactly what it does yeah um and and which is a which is a good point to make it's too bad that the other two hours of the film are making you um root for the or believe in the necessity of american military intervention uh and the casting is very interesting as a as a sort of aspect of the rhetoric of the film, especially Jason Bateman uh, in 2007. Um, I remember at the time thinking that was kind of weird. Yeah. Yeah. And, and he's, you know, he's Michael Bloom. Yeah. Uh, And so he's sort of rep and and his character is, you know, clearly like sarcastic and kind of goofy. And so he, I, I found myself wondering like, who is the audience for this movie? Um, because it's not, yeah, it's not old school kind of Clint Eastwood shit, um, and, and the cast, you know, Jamie Fox, Jennifer Garner, um, Jason Bateman, it's it's you know you in two thousand seven went to see this in the theater, uh, so it's not some old school military propaganda, but it is, you know, it. it somehow it comes back around to that because it's like in the casting you see uh, you have the margin, you have marginalized people in America. You have a black man, you have a woman, you have a Southern white man who's like noticeably, you know, Southern accent. And Jason Bateman is his character mentions that he's Jewish, right? He goes to Israel to visit his family. Yeah. He says he's got a grandmother in Israel. Right. So, so you have these like marginalized, these characters who represent kind of marginalized groups. Uh, 
which which seems you know kind of like a hip progressive thing and then you realize it's like oh these marginalized groups can you know see see they can uh, devote their lives to uh uh serving the u.s military as well it's like <laughs> you, oh you, yeah, you too can travel that? to, to see, exotic they, lands they, they and kill risk, their people they can risk their lives too yeah. isn't that hip yeah uh, it's very and they sort of it's almost like peter berg or i i don't even know if he wrote the screenplay written by uh, matthew not. michael carnahan whoever that is uh but it, it is they do have that sort of a team of marginalized people thing going on right, right. and in doing so they sort of try to hit everything about saudi society that is different or strange uh, when seen through American eyes, namely in having Jennifer Gardner's character there at all, there's most of her role in the film is to be the woman in Saudi Arabia who right. isn't allowed to do certain things. Um, you know, they have Bateman's character be Jewish, which only matters in the sense that he's traveled to Israel. So it's a sense of like, even if he's not like a practicing devout Jewish man because he's traveled to Israel, they're like, Oh, you have Israeli stamps on your passport. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's just sort of a weird, I don't know. It's like pe- more conservative people complain about identity politics a lot, but this film is a lot of identity politics and kind of all of his films are very heavily leaning into identity politics. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so this is the only one that's not based on a true story. Is that right? Uh, of those that, four, that, yes. That we watched, yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, we, w- I think we would have remembered because <laughs> the, the whole basis being this giant uh, terrorist attack on an American um, oil worker uh, compound, I guess you would call it. Uh, oh yeah no I'm, I'm not suggesting that this was a true story i was, oh, I was I know, but trying to remember that the other ones uh were yeah but i, I just I, I think it's worth mentioning that sort of conceit of the plot because it it sort of makes it into like a mini 9-11 and i think that's important because with a lot of these movies at least for the three that we're talking about that deal with um the war on terror directly um, Berg keeps doing this thing where he picks these events or makes up an event in the, the screenwriter making up an event in the, in the case of the kingdom that serve these kind of small proxy wars for the war on terror. Yeah. And in each case, America wins, which is, I think is important because we're definitely not winning the actual war. Right or have lost the, the the actual war, so it it and they do serve as propaganda films in that way. I think of just being these small instances where we can be like, we got them. Yeah, it's almost like the whole uh, Tarantino thing of like rewriting history, uh, yeah, in a more pleasing way, or just outright and, and ignoring that, the the uh, sort of less pleasing parts. And that's that to me, that's what's really fucked up about these movies is their attempt to kind of control the record, like public record of history. Uh, You know, we've talked on this podcast before about the power of film as mythology. It's the same way people see Oliver Stone's JFK or used to see Oliver Stone's JFK and quote it as 
fact, you know, like this is where they got their information about the JFK assassination. Um, enough time passes and these movies, you know, you, um, start to be mistaken for memory, especially in the sort of insidious inclusion of real footage, um, that we talked about with Clint Eastwood, but, but even more so these, uh, these Peter Berg movies are made to look, uh, journalistic, you know, and they incorporate a lot of, uh, you know, like news just, footage. Yeah. Yeah. Just like verisimilitude is, is very important and the news footage and, and actual clips. And so it's, it's trying to integrate the sort of film, version of it with the supposedly objective, you know, news coverage of it. And so we're just adding mythology upon mythology. And like the real thing that happened is just like lost somewhere. Uh, and to me, that's, that's the real issue with these movies. It's because clearly Peter Berg has, uh, has a little more thoughtfulness to him than someone like Clint Eastwood. Um, but he's so limited um, or, or it's, it's just like what he's doing is so dangerous, you know, uh, because he is kind of suppressing um, or smothering in a way history, the real history by, I guess eclipsing might be a better word. He's eclipsing the real records of these tragedies. And, and not only that, it seems like he's probably making a pretty penny off of them as well. All these movies are where, well, maybe not the kingdom, but the other three are not only fine. We're not only financially successful, but we're well reviewed. It seems by not by everyone, but they all have pretty high, like rotten tomato scores, mm -hmm. uh, which is, you know, sort of the uh, populist way of gauging a movie's, a movie's value. Yeah, I think they're, they're all over 50%, I believe. Yeah, I think some of them were like up in the 80s. I want to say that maybe Deepwater Horizon had a really, really high rating, um, mm. which could be for a lot of different reasons. But yeah, like you're saying, it, it does the same thing that Eastwood did in that he incorporates actual footage. Um, you'll sometimes have interviews with the actual people. So like at the end of Patriot's Day, you actually have those little interviews with the people that are portrayed in the right. movie. Um, right. You know, the, the kingdom's kind of an outlier because it's all a fictional, fictionalized story. Uh, but it, it, I just thought that was a weird parallel because these are two guys with Eastwood and with Berg that I think we would agree are doing a lot of the same kinds of things or have a lot of, seem to have some of the same kinds of goals. Maybe Eastwood's are a little bit more, he's a little bit more gonzo about it, a little bit more yeah. in your yeah. face. Whereas Berg tends to, I don't know. I think Berg just really wants to be an action director, but he I, I also is very opinionated. Peter Berg seems to take more pains to qualify his goals, even though they're not qualifiable in my opinion. in a lot, uh, in, in most cases, hmm. um, I, I can't get over the tragedy porn aspect of it. Yeah. Um, I like, here's a, here's a, Here's a test. I'm saying this ironically and, and tell me how this makes you feel. We're talking, say we're talking about uh, Patriot's day and we're watching a scene uh, where something blows up. And I tell you, I say, 
oh that that scene was awesome that explosion was so fucking cool like that's offensive uh because this like reverence is expected in this movie but it's a movie and if you're not if you're supposed to be reverential for it then you should not be delighted in the violent spectacle of it but that is what a movie does is it invites you to delight in the violent spectacle and so when you mix these like real world tragedies and hollywood bullshit it's just this fucking nightmare where like 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 when we talked about american sniper i remember seeing that in the theater and people were like it's like they were at church it, it was like this is a movie this is a piece of commercialized entertainment and you you think people were listening to a, a sermon it was it was crazy and so that blending of these two uh, you know in my opinion non-overlapping magisteria uh, I think is very very dangerous yeah and I don't know especially when you look at, at what the sort of object of worship is um, and you know, with deep water horizon, I think is a little bit more complicated. Cause like you're saying, it, it sort of is venerating the blue collar working person. Um, and that's something that adds a, an extra layer of complication to it. Right. But in these other films, it's just sort of, I don't even know. It's sort of glorifying all of the things that it's also saying are bad simultaneously, I guess. Um, so I just keep going back to this idea of this, uh, the big conclusion of the kingdom where you have both sides saying we're going to kill them all. And then we're just sort of left where we were in this cycle of, of war. Um, so it's right. It's, it's almost of, like, it's almost like a, a form of the bitch ass backpedal, right? Where it, 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 the, the sort of rhetoric of the narrative invites you to kind of, uh, enjoy the spectacle, but then it's like, has these particular moments that problematize your enjoyment and it's like kind of at odds with with one another so am i supposed to feel guilty for enjoying this movie um i don't and i don't know how intentional that is on berg's part like you said he might just want to be an action director uh and realize he can make movies as long as they have these sort of you know acceptable political agendas yeah Uh, and he might just be fitting that you know, his action goals into that, into these political screenplays, which I'm reading now that the guy who wrote, uh, uh, the kingdom wrote Deepwater horizon, my Matthew, Michael Carnahan. Okay. So a repeat offender. Yeah. (laughs) But those are, they're very different movies. So it's kind of interesting to think about. Um, I don't know. It's like in the kingdom, we're left with this feeling of, Hey, we won, but also it's bad, but Hey, we won. (laughs) But it's bad. Yeah. It, it reminds me of, I've probably talked about this before, of uh, Pauline Kael's review of A Clockwork Orange, where I think she makes a very important point. Uh, she notoriously hated the movie. And basically she says you cannot um, critique violence by simply depicting it uh, because you are... Uh, like I was saying, sort of inviting the audience to enjoy it. And so you can't, uh, basically you can't critique 
something just by showing it. And so, uh, when you film these badass action sequences, which especially in Deepwater Horizon, when they jump at the end into that fiery yeah. water, it's like a fucking badass scene. Um, so you can't make these badass scenes and then just all of a sudden problematize it and expect for people to come out of there not talking about how fucking awesome it was when, you know, the fucking streets in Boston blew up. Like that fucking happened. It is not okay to like enjoy this as movie spectacle. And and, and it is a movie now. It, it, I'm just very bothered by Patriot's Day. That's the one that I'm just like kind of kind of upset about. Yeah. Because yeah. I remember I remember when that news coverage I remember that news coverage already felt like a movie. The way yeah. CNN was handling it was just like it, it was like we were watching uh, The Dark Knight or something. Yeah. Um, and, and that's when that event with some others was the beginning of CNN losing a lot of credibility for, you know, reporting things too early and uh, being kind of, uh, you know, gadfly-ish about such a traumatic event. Yeah, they they milked it for all it was worth. And I remember, I remember I was at a restaurant with friends while that, new, like, while they were like finding the guy in the boat or, uh, or maybe they were just replaying it. I don't know, but everyone was watching it. Like it was a, an action movie, um, which is just sad. And and so the movie itself is just kind of redundant because the news coverage itself was a spectacle. Yeah. And it is that in Patriot's day specifically, um, it's weird to think about adapting that into a film because like you're saying, the news coverage already exists. We already kind of lived through the movie, so to speak. Right, right. So to then take that and dramatize it, it's weird. And that's why I think you end up with characters like uh, Sergeant Saunders, I think. Uh, that Marky Mark's character in Patriot's Day. Who mm-hmm. are these just like weird, almost caricature type characters. Uh, right. Because you have to have at least a handful of them in order to tell the story, to tell the story through them. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, when in reality, I think a much more fascinating film would have been to just, just look at this from the point of view of the brothers and like a, like a, for some reason, the movie elephant comes to mind, uh, something like that, but with this bombing and that to me is way more interesting than following this heroic Boston cop, Yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, part of the reason for the perspective is that because this movie is adapted so directly from, I mean, this is not like Titanic where you're exploiting a tragedy a hundred years later. This is like, I mean, they had the real people in interviews in the credits, you know? So I think the perspective comes from, you know, they wanted, they, I guess they wanted the most information, the most accurate information. And so they took the perspective of the people who were at hand, you know, mm-hmm. um, and, and, and I guess that's fine in some ways, but it's also, um, you know, just going to be chock full of their kind of ideology bleeding into this story. Um, so it would have been interesting to see a movie you know, from the 
brother's perspective, but that's just not possible. No, it, I mean, there and, would be and, and anything protests. we would have seen through their perspective would have been completely fictionalized. Oh yeah. Um, uh, which but I do know. think it's interesting uh, for all this tragedy porn we're, su- you know, subjecting ourselves to this week. Isn't it interesting that there's rarely, I, I'm trying to think of an example. Elephant is like the exception, but that is not tragedy porn. That is, I mean, who saw that movie? That's not a blockbuster by any stretch yeah. of the imagination. Everyone who did remembers it pretty vividly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but how come, you know, why, why is there no school shooting movies? Why, why are, uh, why are there no, why are we not willing to exploit um, you know, any, any number of the mass shootings. And, and the reason is we don't have a Brown person to point to as the villain. And, and it's like, like Kevin Bacon's character says in Patriot's day, he looks at like, you know, he looks at something on the street. He sees blood on the street and he just goes, bam, it's terrorism. Yeah. He Uh, picks up like a piece of metal and he's like, after he, they just had this big conversation about how difficult it would be to classify it as terrorism. He just looks at one piece of shrapnel and he's like, okay, we'll take it. Yeah. And now what would he have said if he went to, you know, the crime scene of a, of a school shooting? Why is that not terrorism? Of well, course it is terrorism, but that is not how the, you know, the, the public conceives of it. They conceive it as, you know, anything other than that. And they start talking about mental health. They start talking about whatever. But as long as they have someone who just fits the role uh, they have in their mind of a bad guy, which is someone not from America, uh, then then it's it's worth exploiting because there's no risk and there's no there is no self-reflection required. It's just bolstering your already held fucking racist beliefs. Yeah, and the the films that do exist about these school shootings. So the only two I can think of are Elephant, and then uh, we need to talk about Kevin. I, I actually haven't seen that. Um, I've sort of half seen it, but I, I know that the general kind of consent, the general idea is that it's a film about a you know teenage boy who is a sociopath mm-hmm. and just like kills for fun. Uh, so that feeds into that whole narrative of you know it's only psychotic people with guns that are a problem. Um, and then with elephant, you know, it's kind of its own, its own beast where it's sort of based on Columbine and you have all this, you know, weird psychological stuff going on between the two, the two shooters. Yeah. But there's not, there's not the kind of thing we're looking at now where you have a villain that is just unequivocally the bad guy, unequivocally evil in some way. And it goes from like, so American sniper is probably the most kind of egregious use of that sort of rhetoric with uh, these characters, but it's almost as strong in, you know, the, the kingdom for sure. And then, uh, Patriot's day, at least with one of them, you know, get the two brothers and and Tamerlane, the older one is like the driving force and all that. And then the younger one is just kind of an idiot played by Alex Wolf. Did you notice that from hereditary? Oh, yeah, how could I not? Yeah, it kind I of PTSD from him. <laughs> and I felt weird looking at him and I was like, I, this guy looks familiar and then I looked it up and I was like, oh, okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um so But yeah, the uh he is sort of portrayed as an idiot. Uh, you know, he's spouting these like 9/11 conspiracy theories. 
Um, I don't know that, that to me, that seems like a, a detail that was probably true. You know, that, um, the, the guy that they kidnapped who escaped, I can't remember his name. Um, that seems like probably a detail that came from him, you know, cause he was right there, but, uh, he, he is kind of bumbling. And then the older brother is like the ideologue leader. And, and I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want anyone to think that I am like naive about this. Like, yes, these movies are depicting things from, you know, based on real life. There are terrorists, there are, you know, Muslims who blow people up, but like that is so dominant in the American popular consciousness that to make them like everyone like people think that you know that is that is like part of the ideology and so to make a movie that just reinforces that is 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 worse than pointless it is like it is congratulating you on your racism yeah and i've kind of i've been tracking this a little bit recently uh, because everyone talks about how in the 80s and early 90s the the national boogeyman was the Soviet Union, right? So mm-hmm. that's why you have Rocky fighting Ivan Drago and you have Red right. Dawn and you have all those films, right? And then at, in 9-11, post 9-11, it definitely shifts toward Middle Eastern Muslims, right? And they kind of become the bad guy and in a lot of ways still are in, in a lot of things. Uh, and even before that, in like the, the 90s, it was Libyan terrorists. Uh, if you mm-hmm. think about like True Lies, and uh, like Back to the Future, the bad guys are Libyans, right? Hmm. Or Lebanese. Or, I forget. They're, they're Middle Eastern is the point. Uh, yeah. And But now th- that's still around and you'll still find movies like Patriot's Day and, and others like it where you know, Muslims are, are definitely the seen as this, this evil other in a lot of ways. Well, and here, here's the problem because I, I can just imagine someone hearing this. <laughs> Maybe I have to imagine someone hearing this uh, and saying – Hey, no, bro, this is a real, a real story. So like, how can you accuse them of like, you know, being misleading because this actually happened. This is what those dudes look like. And, and people again, cannot separate movies from real life, especially when the movies are so, you know, set on integrating the real, you know, the real information and the real news footage into it. Uh, to where they, they can't see this as like a product intent on like manufacturing cultural ideas. Uh, and so they're like, there's no such thing as objectivity, but I can, I can just hear someone responding to what you just said as like, you know, Oh, these guys are depicted as crazy. It's like, yeah, well the real guys are crazy, but this is a fucking movie. This is not the real thing. And like in the example that you could easily rebut that with is what we were just talking about is where are all the films about the crazy white kids that shoot up their right. classmates or that right. shoot up a Walmart or that shoot up a football game or whatever it or is. Or a Waffle House or a nightclub or like, I mean. Or like yesterday, just drive around like and shoot random yeah. people. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. that. That's people that make that argument. Whenever I hear someone say that, they just kind of their opinion becomes void to me. I'm like, okay, well, you're no, there's no reasoning with that. Well, that's, uh, it's, it's, it's part of the, uh, there's this trend of like in these movies, I think of particularizing, uh, 
where if, if we can, you know, if, if the filmmakers can make the audience focus on individual stories, it will be effective. And, and then that can sort of numb the kind of bigger cultural, um, engineering that's going on. Right. Um, so if, if all we care about is if, if, if Patriot's day creates believable bad guys and scary bad guys, then the audience, all we're thinking about is, man, I hope these guys, you know, I hope the good guys beat the bad guys, but we, and we're not thinking about like, how does this movie fit in to larger cultural conceptions of, you know, Muslim Americans, for instance, uh, or, or maybe even just as important, uh, privacy and, you know, social, social authority and privacy, uh, specifically in terms of cell phones. Um, it's like, Oh, we want the bad guys to get caught. Therefore it is good to give your cell phone to the authorities and to submit to like curfews and, and shutdowns and things like that. Um, so what I'm saying is if the, if the entertainment is gripping enough and particularized enough, we become numb to the more insidious points being made. Yeah. Um, and, and that's what, I mean, pretty much all of these movies do that. Yeah, definitely. Um, Oh, what I was going to say earlier is this idea of this this kind of national boogeyman that was with the Russians and the Muslims. And now I've noticed in the past few years, it's become Mexicans and Central Americans. Yeah. Um, so it makes me think of Jennifer Gardner, who, Gardner, who was in The Kingdom, was in that movie Peppermint, where it's just like a revenge fantasy against Mexican gangsters. Um, the first Sicario is incredibly good. The second one is... also it's Muslims and and Mexicans. So it's kind of double trouble. You have cartel members and terrorists. Um, Yeah. Breaking bad. Breaking bad. And now you have um, the final, I assume Rambo movie, Rambo (laughs) last blood, where it's just a very old sliced alone, brutally murdering, murdering Mexicans for a couple hours. Uh, So it's, it's pretty, and they're always doing, or it seems like, it's like, so in Rambo, it seems as if the story is a gang kidnaps his granddaughter, something, daughter, someone. And so he has to get her back. So it's always like corrupting the family in some way. And Peppermint, it's like they killed Jennifer Gardner's family and she has to go and murder all of them. Mm-hmm. Um, even like in in uh, The Kingdom, the the terrorist attack is, you know, this this big traumatic event that they want to take revenge over but the the key thing is that they also kill one of their friends who's also an fbi agent right and that right. becomes like oh well, we have to get revenge for our friend who was just yeah. you know in the line of duty i i tell you i started you know tell me if i've already talked about this on the podcast i may have uh, but i started thinking about this issue a couple of years ago when i reread uh the awakening by kate chopin for a, a literature class and the, you know, a sort of, uh, early kind of feminist, very sort of radical feminist, uh, well, I guess today it wouldn't be considered radical feminist, but for the time radical feminist book, uh, 
And I remember noticing that the uh, husband character in that book is like portrayed as kind of a decent guy. Um, like there's no real specific reason why the uh, main character should hate this particular man, you know, and, and want to want to leave the marriage. And and I remember thinking how brilliant that was because because of this issue we're talking about. If if Chopin had particularized it, then the sort of larger social critique is lost. Right. Um, it, because readers say, oh, this husband was an asshole. Therefore, this one woman is justified in, you know, leaving this marriage, leaving this man. But as it is, he's a decent guy. And so we have to when we read that book now, we have to uh, understand that this woman is like representative of all women. And this man is representative of all men. And it's problematizing not a man, but like the institution of marriage and, you know, and, and just patriarchy in general. And so I really think it's this issue of like particularization is very worth paying attention to. And it's basically what's happening in these movies is the opposite of what, you know, uh, what Chopin's doing. She avoids particularizing so that we can't miss the social critique. These movies very much particularize so that we won't pay attention to the larger, uh, you know, cultural issues that are at play. Yeah, and, and using these real life events so that there's kind of a sanctity around them that you're not supposed to violate with criticism. Exactly. And that's my point about Patriot Say when you say, if I say, oh, that was so fucking cool when the car blew up. You can't say that because it, or people think you can't say that because, oh, this, there's a reverence around this movie because this really happens. Okay, okay, then why did you make a fucking movie about it? <laughs> yeah. Why, why did you cast Mark Wahlberg? Um, exactly. I do want to talk let, just real quick because that's a good point, but I think we're going to come back to similar things with all these. But just to talk about the casting real quick, because with The Kingdom, it's kind of wild. Um where you have Jamie Foxx, um, which I think this was around when he won the Oscar, unless I'm mistaken. Um, Chris Cooper. Ray? Yeah. So, yeah, 2004. So this is post-Oscar Jamie Foxx. Uh, Chris Cooper, Jennifer Gardner, Jason Bateman, Tim McGraw. <laughs> you might have Richard, Richard Jenkins. Richard Jenkins. Jeremy Piven is... Uh, it's like yeah. weird casting. And then... Um, you know, with the other films you have like the, in the Wahlberg film. So like in Lone Survivor, you have Taylor Kitsch, right? Uh, Emil Hirsch, yeah. Ben Foster, ben Foster Eric Bana. Um, yeah. And just Deepwater Horizon is similar. We have Wahlberg and Kurt Russell and John Malkovich, Gina Rodriguez, Rodriguez Kate Hudson, the yeah. dude from Boy Meets yeah. World. Who? Ethan Suppley, who oh yeah 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 I forget his name I forget the character's name in Boy Meets World, but um, Frankie I think in Boy Meets World. Anyway, doesn't matter. Um, I don't remember him from Boy Meets World. I remember him from Remember the Titans. You don't remember him from Boy Meets World? No. Who like what? How do you not remember him from Boy Meets World? <laughs> I was distracted by Topanga. I guess. He was he was Frankie, and he was like 
the you know there were the bullies there was the short one with the hat and he was like the big one like the tall kind of fat one but mm. it turned out he was like a sensitive soul that sort of thing ah, um, but yeah remember the titans is probably that's a good one to remember from too i guess um, also american history x yeah and he's, he's creepy in that one well then in you know so it's just you know the the casting is is interesting to me because with you know the eastwood movies um he doesn't seem to draw big names really like bradley cooper but outside of that he doesn't really seem to get really big names especially at least in like the the movies we talked about like the mule yeah. and, and i was gonna say what well, yeah mystic, mystic river's pretty pretty packed yeah and, yeah uh, uh yeah some of those early it's it's like it's like uh, actors realize like he like went off the deep end after million dollar baby yeah um, so yeah, it's just kind of fascinating to see how Berg consistently just packs these movies with known actors who do well, a good job. And, and I think it's because, uh, I knew this term was going to come up with his movies. There's a, a book by none other than Curtis White called the middle mind. And the middle mind is this concept. He, he argues for, uh, that all of Berg's movies that I've seen fit into where it's like the suggestion of like progressivism uh, that's really sort of masking conservative values and white points to like NPR as like the kind of quintessential representation of the middle mind. Uh, just this sort of uh, it's like, it's like, yeah, we hold the right opinions, but we still keep driving our SUVs and eating fast food and, you know, consuming at unsustainable rates. Uh, but we go to parties and talk about, you know, the right issues or whatever. Uh, so it's like I think his movies attract these actors because they're attracted by these kind of the veneer of progressive ideals that these movies maybe claim to have you know yeah blue blue collar workers in Deepwater horizon you know uh the the city of boston you know uh you know all that sort of fanfare um uh what's uh, i mean just the military in general um so anyway i think i think the middle mind is a, a concept very much at work in all of these movies Especially, and I think that's probably what's attractive to uh, big name actors and actresses. They just they they think they're doing something new and original and progressive. Yeah, when you know, in reality, probably not. No. Uh, I mean, in any movie where Mark Wahlberg is the star, you have to like think about it for a second and be like, is this progressive? Is this? Yeah. Is this in any way pushing back against uh, mainstream ways of thinking? Um, so, the only one is Boogie Nights. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, it, in talking about how the movies are related to environmental concerns, I think the two where it's most obvious are uh, the Kingdom, uh, Deepwater Horizon, most obvious. Yeah. Uh, the Kingdom also because it is very much a movie that is. Uh, aware that this whole international conflict springs from oil and the production of oil and the consumption of oil. And that's what 
the infographic at the beginning talks about and characters throughout will quote, you know, if they lose control of the people, then they lose control of the oil and that'll never happen. That kind of stuff. Uh, so one thing that Berg does kind of get right, I guess with this film, with these films is that acknowledgement that this is not just a straight up clash of civilizations like Eastwood paints it to be, but it, it also has the, this other added layer, of, which is one of, one of many, which is uh, trying to make sure that the supply of oil is not disrupted in any kind of way. Right. Uh, and if possible, seizing control of it uh, through, you know, wars in Iraq or whatever it may be. Um. So I, I do appreciate that part of what he does with at least those two films and the other two. Um, it, it's a little bit more difficult to find that direct connection unless you just follow that same trend of the, the tie between the military and oil production, in which case right. Lone Survivor is a, you know, one-to-one like Afghanistan was the war we had to fight so we could fight the war in Iraq, that sort of thing. Like we had to mm-hmm. at least make a, a show of going after uh, Osama bin Laden in, in Afghanistan. Um, but then, with uh, with Deepwater Horizon and the kingdom, it's especially Deepwater Horizon. This goes back to what we were saying about particularizing the story. Deepwater Horizon is not about an oil spill. It is about a it is about blue collar workers, um, you know, being violently killed and trying and you know the survivors trying to escape. Um, there is like barely a mention of the environmental cost. Um, and that, and that's not to, uh, downplay the significance of the loss of human life. Like that's the story, uh, for sure. But it just seems like there would be some sort of, uh, or some more mention of like the catastrophe, the environmental catastrophe that this was. I think there's like, a sentence in the credits or something about it. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah. It, it's, it's very much more focused on, on the people who were affected and, uh, kind of taking BP to task, but I don't know, not really just like you're saying, it particularizes it down to John Malkovich is representative of this entire kind of rotten corporate structure of BP. Right. Um, right. with his, his crazy James Carvel accent that he has. Right. Right. And therefore he's a weirdo. And so we hate him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you focus way more on the, the relationship between the blue collar workers and this, you know, corporate figurehead and, and because of his, you know, only seeing dollar signs and not, not following the, the proper sort of safety protocols, which blue collar workers always do 100% of the time, apparently. Yeah. Um, that's what leads to this, this destruction in a lot of ways, nature's kind of, you know, it comes alongside that, but isn't really a focus, even though what ultimate, what eventually causes the most damage is the mud, which is a sort of weird sort of, um, representation of kind of when man's dominion over nature goes wrong, you get this explosion of uh, mud. It's sort of painted as the villain. Yeah. Right. It's it's the monster that attacks. And, and that's I mean, one of the biggest problems with Deepwater Horizon is that there is no there is no problematization of like the industry of drilling for oil. No, it's noble it, even. 
Right. Exactly. That that's the issue. It's like, I mean, the, uh, I'm not making a, a case against blue collar workers. I'm just saying I, I am making a case against, uh, you know, highly uh, damaging extractive industrial endeavors. Uh, and so if you really want to look at the bad guy here, it's not just uh, these particular people from BP. It's like the whole enterprise of of this type of drilling. Uh, yeah. But that is that is not they, this movie doesn't even come close to going there. No, it, we, like Lava watched this with me and partway through it, she goes, why do people take this job? And I said, because they make a shit ton of money in a short amount of time. Um, so that, that's why, you know, anyone, why would anyone choose to live on an oil rig for three weeks? Um, and the movie even makes it seem precarious in that, you know, when they arrive on the rig, it says, you know, deep water horizon, 40 miles off the coast or whatever, free floating. (laughs) And you're like, well, this is terrifying. Yeah. This is like my nightmare is to just be out in the middle of like the sea, just on this little platform. (laughs) Um, and then it fills with mud and like drowns you and blasts you through the wall. It's just like fucking terrifying. But you have to remember that the paychecks they're getting for that, you know, month long shift or whatever are going to be substantial. Yeah. You have those guys that talk about the drilling team that we're talking about how they just woke up and, you know, talking about sleep deprivation and all that sort of stuff, which is, you know, commonplace in those kinds of industries. Yeah. Um, and people keep coming back to it because it it will pay your bills. It'll hmm. you know set you up with some sort of retirement plan, right? It'll put your kids in school. I'm not sure how you watch this, but I I watched the DVD and there was like before you got to the menu, there was a like a public service announcement type commercial, and it was for some sort of workers work workers organization or something. It was like very, it's like all the, all the things that are implicit in the message about blue collar workers was like in this commercial. It was like clearly some sort of, uh, organization that either reached out to the film or the film reached out to the organization. It's like this movie is a project of like blue. It's like one big salute to blue collar workers, uh, which is a very, I mean, that's fine. Great. But that is such a strange angle to take on this particular tragedy. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. It just kind of blows your mind. Um, And something I thought was kind of weird is you have uh, toward the end when Wahlberg is going into the hotel after they've gotten off the rig and they've been picked up by the boat and all that. And the, the angry dad like grabs him and slams him against the wall. Uh, the dad, oh, yeah. the dad who's Trace Adkins, who's a country musician, uh, like Tim McGraw, Tim McGraw was in the kingdom. Y- yeah. Yeah. So it's weird kind of country musicians popping up. He's like slams them against the wall. And it kind of made me think of like stories of uh, Vietnam veterans coming home and people spitting on them and calling them baby killers and stuff. And in this, it's like, oh, this, this dad has mistaken the, uh, beleaguered blue collar worker as the, the the bad guy when really it's the you know the bp executives and it was just sort of like a weird i don't know it's like our, our sympathies are already 100 percent with him you don't need to add this on top of it yeah I, I suspect that was a 
you know, probably straight from the book or, or from an interview or something, you know, uh, cause it, it would be a strange thing to like make up yeah. and include. It's a strange but, uh, thing to do in general. Right. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll say, here's one good thing I'll say about, uh, Lone Survivor, the, uh, Deepwater Horizon and Patriot's Day. Mark Wahlberg is not a great actor, but he, the best moments in these movies, he kind of nails the extreme emotion. Like he's, he gets traumatized, you know, three times. And in the shots after, you know, like the big action has occurred, he kind of nails his, his trauma. Uh, It's like the only good acting you see from him in these movies. But like, look at him at uh, when he's, I think he's like sitting on a staircase after, you know, the big, uh, the big escape in Deepwater Horizon. And he like, he kind of nails it. Yeah. I I was also a big fan of the, uh, you know, the, the classic hero guy keeping his cool under pressure thing where he's talking Mm -hmm. to, um, uh, crap, what's her name? Michelle, Gina Rodriguez, sorry, Michelle Rodriguez, different person. Uh, and he, uh, is talking to her about her Mustang and that's, you know, he's trying to distract her and then he's like, what color is your Mustang? And then throws her off the platform. (laughs) Um, you know, it's kind of like, I don't know, it's sort of endearing, I guess in the moment. Um, he, he plays sort of, at least in Patriots Day and, and Deepwater Horizon, even though it's kind of different, he plays the kind of smart ass guy who's like, I'm just here to do my job and do it well. That sort right. of thing. Um, willing to, willing to, uh, uh, tell the truth to the authorities. Yes, definitely. Uh, which is what every blue collar worker wishes they could be, even though in, re- <laughs> yeah. in real life yeah, that'll be right. fired real quick. Yeah. Because they are, I mean, you are not the boss in that position. Yeah. And in all these movies, like I was talking about how they, there are sort of these proxy wars for things where America can win, at least with the ones that are dealing with, with war specifically, they also have that kind of escapism of, you know, being the, the small time worker who, you know, steps up and saves the day or like plays their role to perfection or whatever it may be. Um, and it's just sort of, you know, everyone wants to be that. Right. And also you have um, something I texted you about, which is that, and it's sort of similar to other movies we've seen, especially like American Sniper, where uh, the every married couple is just like so horny for each other, uh, and like <laughs> yes. like within marriage, it's like they're so in love and they just like want to do it all the time. Right. Um, and it even comes through in like Patriots Day when you have the one of the couples you follow or the. Um, I guess one of them's a nurse and the other one's a student and they both become amputees because of the explosion. Right. And there's uh, like a real emphasis in the, you know, in the scene where they're getting frisky, you can yeah. see the, the wedding band very clearly. And even JK Simmons, when he's, uh, he's getting ready in the morning and his wife is like, come over here and I'll show you how handsome you are. <laughs> uh, it's just sort of like, like horniness what, what within marriage. Doing, what, what's happening is you, the audience are, being given a reason why it matters if this person dies. And that's why, (laughs) and that's why Kate Hudson has, you know, has to be Kate Hudson in, uh, uh, Deepwater Horizon and Michelle Monaghan or Monaghan, however you say her name, it has to be some 
you know, clearly very attractive, skinny woman, uh, because, oh man, it would suck if he dies. He doesn't get to come back and bang that all day. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that's, that's really the, uh, what's underlying those. I mean, that, that can't be a coincidence, right? No. And uh, you even point you gotta, out. You've got to give the audience a reason to care yeah. you know, whether or not this guy dies. So you see like, their oh, kids. You see their right, their hot right. spouse. And you, you mentioned this to me as I was watching uh, Deepwater Horizon, that the uh, you know Kate Hudson is cast to play a woman who looks nothing like Kate Hudson. Right? And right. like nothing against this woman, but she's an older lady. She's, she's kind of a bigger lady. Yeah, looks the, nothing the like Kate Hudson. The biggest difference was the age. I mean, this woman yes. was like 50. Yes. Kate Hudson's, you know, 36 years old. Yeah. Probably. You know, you know, Wahlberg's a big upgrade from the guy he's playing, right? Like physically speaking. Um, right. So it's just a weird. I mean, I get it's like a classic Hollywood thing is you have to have the beautiful people in the movie or no one will come right, see but it's it. Like it if, if you if you want to, you know, so honor blue collar workers, why can't you like cast someone who like vaguely looks like them? Yeah. Or like, you know, do some acting and look like the person, right? Right. Transform yourself physically. Kate Hudson. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's just it's that same sort of thing that's very it's a very kind of conservative thing, I guess, or I feel like it is. And we've talked about this before like I was in a Christian shoe store and I heard an ad on the radio about like how you should i forget what the service was but it was like when you get married you should do it all the time was kind of the gist of this ad that was playing on this christian radio station which is a very like steamy sort of ad to play but because it's within the realm of marriage it's like this is a purely good thing right um you know you need to reproduce so we can you know transfer these ideals onto the next generation but then we see the married couple (laughs) and and, uh, and train an army yeah uh, and then we see like Patriots Day uh, when you have the Zarnev brothers and, and the older one's wife, who is the, the American that converted and became a jihadi. Um, they they have a similar kind of thing going on, which is weird, um, where, you know, he's worried about the picture on the news report being bad. And she like gives him this big, like sexy kiss. And she's like, oh, you did great. Mm. It's just, I don't know, it's weird. The The way that relationships are depicted is, is strange to me. Yeah. Um, I guess we should talk maybe a little bit about Lone Survivor. We've kind of skipped around like I yeah. kind of thought we might. Because I don't, I just don't like it as much. It's kind of boring, I think. Yeah. Uh, even though for an action movie, know, it's kind of boring. Some of these movies were, uh, Deepwater Horizon to me was very boring for the first 45 minutes. Once... Once shit blows up, it gets pretty gets pretty good. <laughs> it's pretty badass. <laughs> these explosions. Yeah, uh, I, this is kind of neither here nor there. But more people died in the Deepwater Horizon explosion than died during the uh, Boston Marathon bombing. Really? Yeah, I think four people or so died in the Boston Marathon bombing, whereas like I think seven. Died. So it's you know, not to compare the two, but it's just. Like you were saying, it's weird to paint the Deepwater Horizon thing as like a failure of bosses to be responsible as opposed to man's hubris in the face of nature and right, right. Uh, reliance on technocracy, you know, all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that that is an important thing to point out because you see how 
uh, how reverence works. Like there's connotations to to different situations that can make you know a four person body count seem insignificant when when that's not in any any loss of life uh, you know is a tragedy for whatever reason but my point here is that like 40,000 people die in America from car accidents you know every every fucking year when's the last time you saw a, a movie uh, you know being sentimental about how many people die in car wrecks no because you can't problematize the automobile industry right yeah i mean you you, you can but no one's going to do that the same way in the kingdom you know reliance on oil is never problematized what's what's called into question is like these political relationships are are we doing this fairly not is this even worth doing um I'm sort of getting lost in my own thoughts. I can't remember how we got into that. But I found the actual numbers. And so with the the Boston bombing, it was five and Deepwater Horizon, it was 11. And okay. so, you know, more than double. But it's sort of like you're saying, you can't, it's not problematized why they're dead. Like the, the reason that's given is the irresponsibility of these corporate people and, you know, failure to maintain safety and put the proper care into this rig. And that's what kills them. Right. But, it, you know, they're, it's almost to the point, right? That's why it's frustrating. It's like you're on the right track, but you don't quite get there because these people were, you know, in essence, killed by capitalism. They're killed by this insatiable hunger to, you know, run these extractive in- industries right. and, and keep and then, oil flowing. Like I said, like I said, absurdly, you know, on top of that, they cast the oil as the bad guy, you know, as <laughs> in like a lot the of ways, other yeah. bad guy. They they call it like the dinosaur, or the monster, or whatever. Yeah, it's like, no, this is just oil. Yeah, and, and, and we we are doing this to ourselves. And the idea that all these movies have that kind of links them together is a sort of idea of the mission, and how the mission comes before everything else, and it's very important that we, we that we succeed in the mission. But in Deepwater Horizon, the mission is unnecessary in a lot of ways. It's only necessary if you subscribe to this idea that like America right. has to maintain energy independence, therefore we can you know, remain the most powerful nation on earth and all this sort of stuff. And we have to get there before anyone else gets there. But in reality, it's 11 unnecessary deaths that happen. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, I guess the, a bigger point to make is, like I said, different situations have different connotations for like in quotes here, acceptable body counts. Right. Yeah. Uh, when, when in reality, there's no acceptable body count for an oil rig. Like, no one should die. We shouldn't be doing it in the first place. Uh, obviously, there should be no body count at a, at a marathon. Um, but it's, it's just, um, it's interesting how with, uh, with the Boston bombing, how, much bigger that seemed you know how much like if you just watch the news coverage of it um i mean more people die died yesterday in in the shooting um but there's not this there's not this easily uh you know like 
uh, in real time trackable bad guy. Uh, and so, so it got more news coverage and it got more sensationalized. And so people paid more attention to it. So it, it felt like more of a tragedy. Um, so it's, it's just weird how the news coverage of these things kind of determines how much reverence we have for it. Um, and not necessarily the body count. Yeah. And it's, it's something else that links all the films together. It seems to be like a, a Bergian thing is it's very dangerous to be an American. Right. So <laughs> it, in Lone Survivor and the Kingdom, they're both sort of like just being an American on foreign soil in these hostile countries is bad enough. In Patriot's Day, it's because, you know, Americans are being attacked by these terrorists that could be anywhere. There could be cells active in Chicago, they say at one point. Um, and then in Deepwater Horizon, it's to be a blue-collar American worker is very dangerous, right? And, I don't know, in a lot of... It, like, he's... I think saying it's very dangerous to be an American is right, but not for the reasons that Berg is suggesting. Right. And by doing that, he is naturalizing the, the dangerous conditions that make that. So, you know, it's like, yes, it is dangerous to be an American. If being an American means being subject to these extremely dangerous industries, uh, that exploit workers and, and in turn make themselves rich. Yeah, that is dangerous. But, it's not going to change if we tell these stories that keep suggesting that, you know, Oh, there's, there's nothing wrong with the industry itself. And, and it's funny. Cause you know, you see the, the end of Deepwater horizon where it's telling you like where they are now. And for a few of them, it was like, they no longer work in the oil industry. It's like, yeah, well, no shit. Why would they, why would right. they go back? Um, so it's sort of, I don't know. That's why, I don't know with that movie especially to, to valorize the worker is I don't know it's sort of like support the troops but it's support the workers so I don't support the work they're doing by any means but to have some sort of solidarity with them and be like you shouldn't be subject to these dangerous conditions and right be under supported by the company that pays you and that sort of stuff right it's um, the same it's the same way like like you say with with troops it's like you want to empathize with individuals, you know, because a lot of people, the military is, is like the last option and it's a financial decision and, and that sort of thing. Uh, but there's a way to empathize with individuals without, uh, supporting the, you know, bureaucratic violent nightmare that they have enlisted in yeah and and that's like like you're saying that's true for the for Deepwater horizon too and and that sort of uh that sort of industry yes but something i wanted to talk about is so we sort of talked about Wahlberg's character in patriot's day a little bit and how it's you know um he's this seemingly borderline alcoholic injured cop who like still collects baseball cards and that sort of stuff. And uh, he, there's a scene and it, it's a very sort of like standard scene of the cop showing their superpower, which is being very good at being a cop. And they bring him in to the recreation of the, the bomb site. And Kevin Bacon's character is like, tell us where all the security cameras are. And so he like in his head is mapping out where the security cameras are. 
mm-hmm. sort of like you you mentioned a couple of times, it shows you just how under surveillance you are on a, yeah. like on a regular basis. Because he's like, oh, well, Crate and Barrel has a camera, and then there's this bar that's got a camera. And, oh, you know, Ricky or whatever just put in new cameras at his place. Let's see if they, we caught him there. And we're supposed to look <clears throat> look and, and think how awesome that it, is. It'd be like, thank God te- they're there. Yeah, technologically advanced we are. There's even that shot of of the uh, uh, security or the cop who ends up getting shot. Uh, he's like flirting with the girl at MIT. But before we get there, we're supposed to glory in these fucking robots these MIT students are making. Yes. Uh, it, it's it's very strange. It's like those uh, are taken at face value as like a net positive for society. Yes. And they're not problematized at all. Whereas, you know, you think of like, there are a lot of problems with the Dark Knight. But one part that is kind of good in spirit is the whole Batman turning everyone's cell phone into a way to track them thing is seen as being like a bad thing. Um, uh, it's seen as being a bad thing that he does. Yeah, that he does anyway, and it see, works. See, but. see I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't see anything good about that because I think the movie is very tricky. Where it's like, like it's trying to trick you. It's like it explicitly acknowledges that it's problematic, but then does it anyway, as and, if and to Morgan say, Freeman's yeah, like, this is oh, a no. hard decision, but it's it's ultimately worth doing there there are greater purposes i think zizek talks specifically about that in uh the pervert's guide to ideology um and it's and it's part of that larger trope he talks about of like um kind of an old conservative trope of you know there is a an anti-democratic kind of elite that should be in charge of you know making informed decisions for the uninformed public and it's a very like, you know, post nine eleven Patriot Act sort of mindset. Oh uh, yeah, where people. Yeah. I mean, huh? sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I, I, I had nothing to add. Okay, <laughs> where people sort of people overestimate the rights that they have as an American citizen. I think um, you're like, oh, I pay my taxes and I follow the rule. Well, yeah, that doesn't really matter if you are suspected of terrorism or whatever maybe and we talked a little bit about it with uh you know if a tree falls when we talked about the eco-terrorism stuff and how those people were tried under the same sort of sets of standards as the uh you know the zarniov brothers were um and a book we've mentioned before is dave eggers a which mm-hmm. if you need some sort of illustration of the evils of the patriot act and post 9 11 america read that book and see how bureaucracy of the highest order can just crush a human being's soul. Yeah. Um, Good. Something that's so fucked up in Patriots Day is the uh, when they are interrogating the wife of the of the one of the bombers, you know, mm-hmm. the older brother, mm-hmm. uh, and the I guess it's an FBI agent woman yes. dresses up like a Muslim and goes in there and tries to elicit, you know, a confession and, and further information. And basically she's like, you have no rights, you know? And, yeah. and she keeps asking who she is and she doesn't say anything. And, and the audience, we're supposed to sit there and watch and be like, Ooh, look how fucking badass we are. We don't have to abide by the rule of law. Like what the fuck? Like, <laughs> It's it's like an admission 
that we're like breaking the law. Uh, but it's in the audience's mind, it's like justified, um, you know, because again, like we said, it's been so particularized onto these bad guys, but it's like, you, you've got to, you've got to remove yourself from that particular moment and see how this impacts, you know, on a, on a larger scale. Uh, that, that to me was like the creepiest moment well that yeah i want to talk about this scene too because it's i forget the actress's name but she's been in a few things she was in treme which i enjoyed but uh she comes in and she tells the story because you said that she's dressed up like a woman the impression that i got is that she is muslim and happens to work for the fbi and she tells the story about she says i was born in a, a tent with three walls that said unicef on the side and you were born in a room with flowers and doctors and 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 makes a, a point that your life was too easy for you to end up like this for you to you know be indoctrinated into uh you know islamic terrorism or into islam at all that you know you why did you do this because you had everything you had you know you won the lottery you were born in the united states why would you throw it all away for this uh, which is yeah, and and I say she dresses up like a Muslim because when she leaves the interrogation room, she takes off the hijab. Okay, it's like clearly that's not a religious uh, observance in her life. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. I, I mean, she may be Muslim, but she's not. She she's putting on the hijab to like identify to 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 make this woman identify with her. Yes, which is which is pretty fucked up. Yeah, and you know she has a thing where she comes in. She's like, um, you know, assalamu alaikum, and and the lady doesn't return it. So she's like, "Do you dishonor the prophet?" <laughs> and right. it sort of like trivializes Islam as a religion in a lot of ways. And the only times in that film where you hear Arabic or you hear, you know, uh, Islamic language in any sort of way is when some terrorist shit's going down, right? <laughs> So like yeah. it wouldn't they they carjack the the uh, Chinese guy um, who that actor is in Silicon Valley is like the only other thing I've seen him in. Um, he was in an episode of It's Always Sunny, I think. But you know he puts the gun to his head and he's like, "Wallahi, I will kill you," which is is means I swear to God I will kill you. But you know they put it in his mouth even though this Chinese guy is not going to know what that means. I would assume. Um, it's just it's the the selective nature of those markers of religion or of you know otherness right they only seem to be deployed when it's going to sort of heighten the the evil of what's going on yeah um so i'm just pulling up this this conversation um uh, about patriot act stuff reminded me of a uh, article in the Atlantic by David Foster Wallace from 2007 uh, called Just Asking. And uh, I just want to recommend that to everyone. And it's basically posing the question, are, you know, is there anything that trumps safety? Right. Um, but he's basically pointing to all these sort of human rights abuses and um, abuses of privacy and power and how basically the the decision or the choices between safety and freedom 
and how the Patriot Act is asking us to choose safety and to, you know, give up freedom. Uh, anyway, it's not asking. <laughs> it's it told us like you will give up some yeah. freedom for safety, and right. it's never yeah, been yeah, like there. Right. There are plenty of those statutes that were set up in the immediate kind of like haze and and bloodthirst of of you know late two thousand one that are still in effect. Like indefinite detainment is still a thing that could happen to you. <laughs> um, and I, I think about it sometimes and it's just kind of fascinating that not only have we been in the, the forever war for, you know, 20 years now, but uh, a lot of these things hap- that happen domestically are very much still in place and viable options if the government th- says so. Yeah. Yeah. He says, uh, have we actually become so selfish and scared that we don't even want to consider whether some things trump safety, what kind of future does that augur? Uh, and I think you see, I mean, like I said, that was 2007. And uh, I think you see in Patriot's Day uh, how we how we answered that question. Yeah. Yes, we are too scared. No, nothing trumps safety. Other than... Uh the love we have for one another as Americans. <laughs> you have yeah. that, that cop at the end of Patriot's Day who's, uh, I forget his name, but he was like commissioner of police now or something. And he's, uh, or maybe it was somebody else, and he's talking about like, oh, in Boston, like, we'll leave you alone, but if you hit us, we're going to hit you back. Yeah, how about how about Big Poppy making the uh, speech and saying this is our fucking city (laughs) (laughs) to a crowd filled with children, (laughs) and people loved it. Ate that. He's still a a hero in Boston. I mean, for mostly for the baseball stuff, but I'm sure that endeared him as well. Yeah. Um, Uh, trying to think of things we haven't mentioned. We still haven't talked much about Lone Survivor, and the only thing I find interesting about that i guess is is kind of like we talked about the kingdom is the you know the the savages are noble at least for a little while yeah and they protect him because of the custom of hospitality that the pashtun people have um it's just sort of ridiculous in in a lot of ways yeah one one good muslim that's like the new trope i guess yep um Uh, and so they're, they're Navy SEALs in that movie, right? Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I didn't know if that was like some other kind of like high ranking military thing, but sort of like I was talking about with Patriot's Day, it's kind of uh, ineptitude <laughs> at those levels, which yeah. is like it, we live in the Blue Lives Matter era. Um, <laughs> so it's just funny to me to look at these examples of these um these agencies falling on their face repeatedly. It's like, wah, wah. Yeah, it's weird. Uh, It seemed like that showed up in a couple of different movies. Uh, Which one was it? Where, well, I guess in Deepwater Horizon, obviously you have like Kurt Russell and Marky Mark, um, you know, skeptical of BP. But then there was... I guess it's in uh, Patriot's Day where like the police 
are skeptical of the FBI. Yeah, because they don't they're and not from Boston. They don't know how we do things right, here. Right. And it's like weirdly similar to uh Die Hard, where like, you know, when the FBI comes in and uh what's the guy's name? The dad from Family Matters. Uh, the uh, cop. Carl Winslow. <laughs> Carl Winslow, yeah. Um you know, we trust him because he's got contact with a guy on the inside. And then the FBI is made to seem like just like bumbling idiots. Yeah. Uh, but, but it's the same sort of dynamic. You see, I mean, that's a, a trope that is everywhere. That's it, yeah. it's in the movie, probably most popularly uh, in the Martin Lawrence movie, blue streak, <laughs> which we we've talked about before. We're big fans of blue streak. <laughs> oh yeah. Great movie. Uh, but yeah, Can I buy you some cereal, <laughs> but in, uh, well, like in Patriots Day, you have um, a couple of instances. One is when they get in the, you know, Wahlberg gets in this black car and they're they're going off to chase the brother that's that's driving away. And he says, we got a black truck heading this way. Be on the lookout. And then the cops immediately turn and start shooting the truck he's in. <laughs> and he's like, what the fuck are you doing? They're like, you said black truck. We just we started shooting. And then it happens again when they're having the standoff at the boat. And every fucking police and SWAT guy in the state shows up in like two seconds and just like lights up the boat with their guns <laughs> for like, no one says shoot. They just start like blowing this boat away right. and Wahlberg has to be like, stop, stop. What are you doing? Um, and it's just sort of fascinating how it, it's not like you're not illustrating how difficult it was to be a cop. You're illustrating that the cops are kind of dumb and, re- and shoot with the least provocation. Yeah, there, there's definitely some uh, trigger happiness going on. And then also uh, John Goodman's character, which uh, John Goodman's in Patriot's day, which kind of bums me out. Yeah. But he, when he's talking to Kevin Bacon and they have this discussion and Kevin Bacon's whole point is we can't say this was terrorism yet because we don't want to piss off the Muslims as the kid in uh, first reformed would say, uh, can't piss off the Muslims <laughs> and and Goodman his whole point is like no that's exact we have to do it like we, we you know uh, safety be damned if Muslims get beat up on the street for this it's fine because what if there are these secret cells in Chicago or New York and they get activated and they set off bombs right and the it whole just, argument suddenly devolves into conspiracy theory stuff yeah yeah and and it's sort of uh, fascinating that the FBI is shown as being like the ones that are responsible, the ones that mm. don't want to get random American Muslims beat up or locked up, right? The same right. organization that would like entrap simple-minded American Muslims online by being like, wouldn't it be fun to do a jihad? <laughs> <laughs> like it's, it's just fascinating to me that Kevin Bacon is somehow the voice of reason. And then he's right. painted as being a pussy cause he won't just go ahead and do it. Yeah. Yeah, Patriots Day is a shit show, man. I like I was I was pretty furious watching it. Uh, the other ones are just kind of like, I mean, they're frustrating in some ways. Uh, but like I said, there's a I mean, there's a book to be written about the propaganda that is this movie, uh, and, and just like a sort of, I mean, its existence as a commercial product is worth a study, you know. Uh, yeah. in terms of its relate relationship to the actual events, it's, it's a, it's a shit show. You know, and like, and like we said earlier, like it's, he's chosen subject matter that is 
kind of holy ground. You're expected mm-hmm. to not have any, you know, it, it reminds me of like, you know, when I was in high school or middle school or whenever it came out, like Passion of the Christ came out. And because it was right. about Jesus, you couldn't be critical of it. You had to like right. watch it and just like be different to this film. Man, I, I'm glad you said that. So I was still, th- this would have been like, I, I would still from time to time go to church with my family in high school. And I remember, and I'm so glad I was there now. I remember going to, uh, I went to a Baptist uh, church and I, the sermon uh, on the Sunday, like a week or two after the Passion of the Christ had been released, uh, my pastor, Brother Dean, uh, was giving his sermon. And I swear to God, he said, it seems to me that people who don't like the movie are the same ones who don't like the book. <laughs> <laughs> God, uh, I've always remembered that. And I was like, "Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's not true." And you get a lot um, of people like, "Mm-hmm." Yep, this is just a a page to screen perfect adaptation. This movie was inspired by God. That's fucking wow. <laughs> but I don't know. But like zooming out, it's what I like to put Berg and, and uh, Eastwood in the same kind of basket where you, you know, they're, they're sort of the, the propaganda masters of the late American empire in a lot of different ways. And, yeah. and one of their and, tricks and, and is like to you do said, that. who's ever heard of Peter Berg? Yeah. You've heard of these movies. Like if yeah. I was like Patriot's day and you're like, Oh, never heard of him. Like, Oh, it's the one with Marky Mark about the Boston bombing. Like, Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 Um, and it's just, you know, the one of the tricks that they use is choosing these events that they think are kind of unassailable. Um, yeah. And, you know, for for a large part, it works. I'm still waiting on that school shooting uh, tragedy porn. Let's see who's got the balls to do that one. I don't even I, I can't think of even like a good theoretical there's, answer. There's, for that. there's there's no way to do that because. Because it's a, it would be a terrible thing to do, and you would be, you would have the American entertainment monster machine swallowing up a real life tragedy, and that is exactly what these things are. But, but because people are so fucking racist, and they connect people with brown skin with like traditional bad guys, they are able to, you know, fit these tragedies into hollywood narratives and 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 like i said they erase and rewrite history by doing so and it is fucked up is there there's not like a a big 9-11 movie is there i can only think of united 93 and that's just kind of oh uh yeah fucking oliver stone world trade center man oh see i even forgot that was a thing yeah yeah um you know, it's weird that you brought up United 93 because I thought about that a lot. And I thought Peterberg is a poor man's Paul Greengrass. Yeah. It's, I mean, Paul Greengrass is kind of a poor man's Paul Greengrass. But they've <laughs> they've kind of had similar, uh, you know, Paul Greengrass at least has the born, a born movie or two under his belt. But uh, 
he did that green zone with Matt Damon mm-hmm. and and uh, uh, United ninety three. So it seems like he, he and Berg are kind of working on in similar ways, and they both have that sort of fast paced, frenetic, you know, hyper kinetic uh, filmmaking style. Uh, Greengrass, I think, is a little bit more sincere and thoughtful in yeah. his movies. I have not seen Green Zone though, so I don't want to speak too soon. I would mostly agree because I mean he did Captain Phillips too, right? So he does oh, okay. he doesn't really rely on the same kinds of tropes like news footage or having the real people show up. I don't think that happens in Captain Phillips or or celebrities really. I mean Tom Hanks is in Captain Phillips, but United ninety three there are like no recognizable actors. Yeah, and uh, his newest movie was twenty uh, second July, which was the uh, Anders Breivik. Uh, oh, okay. I massacre. didn't know he made that one. Yeah. Which is, it's not a great movie, uh, but it is kind of powerful in the same kind of way. Uh, and it's also interesting that he chose to direct that because even though he's a British director, right? It was at least born in Britain. Um, yeah. He's British director. He was directing these kind of American tragedy movies, sort of, at least with like United 93 and Captain Phillips, sort of, even though it's more of like an international thing. So 22nd yeah. July is an event that is, you know, that's Norway's 9-11. But most Americans, if you mentioned it, would have no idea what you're talking about. Right, right. Um, and in mean way, I mean, it's, I say Norway's 9-11, but it's even more kind of insidious because this is a guy that went and like, you know, murdered young teenagers with his own hands. Uh, so just, I don't know. Interesting to think about these guys, these directors that take it upon themselves to try to tell our contemporary stories not long after yeah. they've occurred and um, how most of them are choosing to do well at least the two that we've talked about on here uh, choo- choose to do it in this very propagandistic um, socially conservative at the very least uh, kind of way yeah and, and let's be very clear I mean all these Hollywood movies are paid for with you know, some of the biggest by paid for by some of the biggest corporations in the world. So it's not like uh, the question we keep coming back to is like, can a movie by its very nature even, you know, do any of these things that we're criticizing them for not doing. Uh, And, and I, I definitely don't think Hollywood movies can, there's just, it would be, kind of like a, a sort of suicide for corporations to fund movies that actually have meaningful content that <laughs> that problematizes the social conditions that allow for giant corporations to exist and for wealth inequality to worsen. Yeah, and just to, to I don't know, I just want to mention this. It's related to what you're saying as far as Deepwater Horizon, and it's kind of mentioned, this isn't mentioned directly in the film, but it's kind of, like you're saying, it's only hinted at at the end, the sort of impact that this actually had beyond mm-hmm. just, you know, these these workers that actually, you know, the, the Gulf of Mexico will probably never fully recover from the effects of this oil spill. It's the right. biggest environmental disaster in the country's history, kind of by far. Um, and ultimately, at the end of it, BP... Uh, ended up paying, let me see, I got the number in front of me here, uh, damages and penalties, uh, they reached $54 billion. 
And in the Journal of Corporate Accounting and Finance, they calculated that the ultimate cost of the oil spill was about $146 billion. Yeah, well, hopefully that $54 billion can buy us a new ocean. Yeah, can buy us a new uh, you know, gulf and replace all the wildlife that will just never flourish again. Yeah, yeah. And it even comes up, it makes me think of like, there's a scene in The Office where Andy Bernard is at the Gulf of Mexico and there's like a dead horseshoe crab and he picks it up and he says, thanks, BP. And it's like played for humor. <laughs> but yeah. in reality, that's actually what's happening. Yeah, it's like, I mean, laugh so that you don't cry. Like, what, do you, what the fuck are you going to do about it? Yeah, but it, it is sort of like, <laughs> it is sort of a, a neat trick that Peter Berg pulls where it's like this event almost you know destroyed a whole ecosystem but we really only care about this handful of workers who we meet right and it's and like i said that's that's not insignificant it is a tragedy but but this story is bigger than that right and that's again that's not to downplay the significance of their death. No, their death very much matters and is, and was avoidable and it's tragic that it happened. Uh, but to tell the story of Deepwater Horizon with just the most fleeting of mentions of environmental consequence is, is a dishonest way to tell this story. Mm-hmm. Especially anything like, uh, the you know we mentioned john malkovich's accent he has this kind of deep kind of cajun accent and some of the other workers do too and it's implied that a lot of them come from the gulf region so from louisiana or texas or wherever it would be and uh so that's the area that suffered the most from this oil spill like the, the states of louisiana mississippi alabama bp ended up paying all of them billions of dollars in this settlement which makes me kind of sick to my stomach to think of a settlement being a thing that came out of this, like BP should be dissolved. <laughs> Their CEO should be swinging from a gallow somewhere. Like this is, you know, <laughs> this is like, it's not, it's a crime against humanity and it's also a crime against the earth. Yeah. It's like, it's like, yeah, you can't charge them money because money cannot repair this. What it's like BP should have to be converted. Like all of their resources should have, uh, the company should disband and then all of the resources that they have should have to be like reappropriated for, you know, environmental causes. Uh, that is the yes. only, I mean, and that still won't fix it, but that's the only way to, to even come close to uh, correcting this. Yeah, anything remotely resembling justice. Yeah. Uh, which will just never occur, right? Like like you're saying, BP could pay every single cent that it has, um, and it's not going to fix anything. It's not going to bring those people back. It's not going to fix the gulf. Uh, it's not going to remove the emissions from the atmosphere. gonna go hang myself Fuck. now <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, put up a nice uh, bird feeder just, in the backyard like i'll go hang down. myself next to that we are hell bent on not talking about lone survivor and and let me just say the best maybe the only good thing about lone survivor is <clears throat> mark Wahlberg's comment about poison oak 
Did you did you catch this? I it'll remind me of it because I I'd we, seen this movie years ago and I kind of watched segments of it, but I didn't rewatch the whole thing. Before they head out on their mission, just like the last thing he says is <laughs> poison oak is real, so watch your cock and balls out there because that would suck. <laughs> the weirdest line. I think the the comedic relief is weird. Like in in uh, Patriots Day, probably my favorite part of the whole movie, given what what a shit show it was, is, is the guy in the lobster costume. Where he, he comes back and uh, they kick him out and then they, you know, Wahlberg turns around and talks to John Goodman's character a little bit more. And he's like, guys, the fucking lobster's back. <laughs> What's up, lobster? All right. You're a lobster. That's cool. I like that. Uh, uh, so, yeah. Yeah. The, the, the humor in all these movies is, uh, you know, misguided, I think. They're like Chris Cooper uh, in the kingdom, like down in that hole singing songs to himself while they're digging. <laughs> I, here's a here's something uh Jensi and I both noticed as we watched these. Um the pop culture references are used in very specific ways. Uh, there's like Anchor it's in Lone Survivor, I think Anchorman and there there's like several in, in all these movies that's like clearly meant you know they're clearly used to get the audience to identify with them. It's like everyone, you know, quotes Anchorman and I wish I could remember what the other ones were, but they're stuff like that. Um, it's, but it's just like, Oh, look how real these people are. Uh, they quote Anchorman too. And then they go blow people's heads off. (laughs) Then they go and kill Afghanis. Like I wish I could. Yeah. Um, so I don't, um, I'm trying to think of like, anything worth talking about in lone survivor uh like way, said, we talked about the the one good muslim trope yeah. uh well, it's like i said the it's kind of boring like you were saying with uh deep water horizon like there are just long stretches where it's a sort of and, and i think the point is to try to make it at least in uh deep water horizon is to make it relatable and show you what these people's lives were like but it just kind of drags a little bit yeah and then Lone Survivor is just one long action sequence, more or less. Mm-hmm. I remember Lone Survivor having, unless I'm mistaken, I'm pretty sure this is correct, uh, like Three Doors Down did an original song for it. <laughs> I don't remember that. But... I, like I, I, Maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like that's true. <laughs> um, let, here, I have bring the Wikipedia page up. I have to find out now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> music not, i don't oh, i can't I'm imagine made, anyone purchasing the lone survivor soundtrack maybe i made that up i maybe i think i might be conflating it with um there were like u.s marines or army commercials that would play as trailers before movies and that they had three doors down music that's in interesting the, that you can't tell uh, the <laughs> difference between together. military commercials <laughs> and a Hollywood movie. Yeah. I will say it is weird that, uh, so Peter Berg directed Friday night lights, which mm. is a really good sports movie. Like one of the best sports movies ever made in my opinion. Um, and part of it, that's really well known is that the band explosions in the sky did the soundtrack for it. This post rock yeah. band from Texas. They also did music for lone survivor. And even though they didn't for Patriot's day, as far as I can tell, it was Danny Elfman, right? Mm-hmm. Unless I'm, 
Uh, let me see. Uh, music by... Oh, no. Never mind. Patriot, Patriot's Day. Uh, music by Trent Reznor. Oh, wow. <laughs> and Atticus Ross. Um, <clears throat> so it's weird how these really kind of well-known and talented, I think, musicians, especially when it comes to like scoring movies, are working on these films. Yeah. You just wonder how these projects are like pitched to them. Yeah. I mean, they're successful, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, Patriot's Day, <clears throat> like its budget was 45 million. It made 50.5. So, you know, modest success. It has a 80% on Rotten Tomatoes. Hmm. That's uh, The people that's have alarming. spoken, Will. Yeah, I guess I'm wrong. <laughs> I retract everything I I'll said. I'll delete this it's episode. Yeah. Peter Berg, best, direct, best living director. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Well, well, I don't. He's better, he's better than Clint Eastwood because Clint Eastwood died yes. and no one told him. Yeah, I will say that, like, for all the flaws in these films and all the egregious things they do, there any one of them is better than any one of those Clint Eastwood movies that we talked about. Yeah, I mean, just I mean, from a filmmaking standpoint, they're like hard to look away from when the action is taking place. Like they are, yeah. they're compelling. Yeah. I think, yeah, like, you know, Deepwater you know, Horizon is compelling when they're climbing the tower and jumping off of it. Oh, yeah. That scene's fucking awesome. <laughs> uh, it's too bad it actually happened. Apparently. Yeah. <laughs> you know? it's, it's, it's too bad those people had to actually do that. Right. Um, it's like... Uh, I don't know if I should tell this. Eh, whatever. Uh, <laughs> there's a, a girl I used to date and her family was very religious. And um, they asked her... Her aunt was like, "Hey, are you gonna go see God?" Or uh, no, what's the name of the movie? Um, Heaven is God's- for real. No, it's he- Heaven is for real. She said, "Are you gonna go see that uh, that movie, Heaven is for real?" And uh, my girlfriend at the time goes, "No, no, I'm just, you know, I'm not really very interested in that movie." And her aunt kind of kind of taken aback and pauses for a second. She goes, "But that really happened." <laughs> You know, people who don't like the uh, movie don't like the book. And then, like, later, not long after that, that that kid came out and was like, yeah, I was lying. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, pretty funny. Um, yeah, because he got, he got old enough to realize what had happened. Yeah, I don't... Maybe I've told that story before. If I have, apologies, but I don't think I have. Um, <laughs> it's just, it always, like, whenever something like that comes up, I always think of that because it was so funny. But that really happened. <laughs> it's that thing I was talking about where it... It was sanctified. It's like, no, you have to go see it. it like this, yeah. This is part of the the dogma now. Yeah, uh, American Sniper is the same way. Uh, but yeah, I don't really have my. We're getting up to like almost two hours. I don't really have much oh, wow. else to say about Peterberg. I don't think. I think we about covered everything. No, all I'm all I'll say is uh, Poison Oak is real. So watch your cock and balls out there because that would suck. It's such a Mark Wahlberg thing to do. Never <laughs> never forget, Mark Wahlberg almost beat a Vietnamese man to death for no reason. Yeah, so watch your cock and balls out there because yeah. that would suck. Um, so, <laughs> Wait, that was, that was the Boston accent for Patriots. He didn't it, say it He like might that as well always have it. <laughs> yeah. uh, so next week we're going to do something that we should have done by now, I guess, but uh, better late than never. We're going to be going... Stop. Yeah. <laughs> we're gonna go all the way back to uh 1972 
and talk about uh, classic film Soylent Green, directed by Richard Fleischer. Oh, Fleischer. He's one of my faves. <laughs> Real Fleischer extravaganza. Uh, so Soylent Green, uh, it's people from what I'm told. So we'll, we'll talk about that next <laughs> yeah. week. Uh, yeah, can, watch, can, watch the trailer for Soylent Green. It's like, what is the mystery <laughs> of Soylent Green? Like, oh, it's, it's people. Yeah, it's people. Uh, so we'll talk about that. Um, uh, the movie's set in the year 2022, which I think is funny. Yeah. Uh, well, we still have time. We can get there. So <laughs> we're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher. Uh, follow us at Anthropod Tweets on Twitter. Uh, love us, please. Poison Ivy is real, so watch your cock and balls out there because that would suck. <laughs> <laughs>